text for the sermon this morning, congregation, is Deuteronomy 10, the verses 15 and 16. Deuteronomy 10, 15 and 16. And there it says the following, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Love the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago in catechism class, we dealt with baptism. Baptism is sign and seal of God's covenant with believers and their children. Children of believers also are included in God's covenant and congregation and therefore receive the sign and seal of, of the covenant. And the form for baptism, we heard it not too long ago here, explains that the covenant is about promise and obligation. Two parts, promise and obligation. That's the, the covenant in theological terms. But if we only saw the covenant as promise and obligation, we'd miss what that covenant really is, what it means for us. The covenant congregation, when it comes down to it, the covenant is a love relationship. Think of the, the, the covenant of marriage. Feelings can come and go, wax and wane. But in marriage, there is that obligation to show love which carries the relationship when the feelings aren't always there. It doesn't always work that way with us, but that's how God intended the covenant relationship to function, a sustained love relationship, a passionate love relationship even between God and us. And that's why he reached out to Israel and also reaches out to us with his covenant love in the word and in the sacraments, the sacraments which are the visible signs and seals of his love. He wants to awaken love for him in our hearts because we're by nature not lovers of God. But by his love and, and revealing that, he wants to awaken in our hearts love for him. In the gospel, he tells us he loves us. And the sacraments are like a kiss of love from God. And he seeks our love in return. That's what the covenant is. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the word of God in the text with this theme, God's love seeks our hearts. And we see two things. His love is the basis of his covenant with us. And secondly, his love is what motivates his admonition to us to also love him. For, for the first point, God's love is the basis of his covenant with us. We mentioned before here that the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' repetition of God's law just before, they, uh, before his death and just before the nation of Israel was going to go in and take possession of the promised land. Moses had a so-called sermon there and, and repeated the law, explained the law again once more for the Israelites. 
So this book is about what took place at the point when Israel's journey was finished through the wilderness and they were at the, the brink of entering the land of Canaan. And then look what Moses says to the people in chapter 9, verse 1, the previous chapter, the first, first uh, verse. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today. And, and if you think about that, that's an amazing thing that after all that took place in the wilderness that the people of Israel had come that far. They had complained to God. They had rebelled against him so many, many times in the wilderness. And so many of them had therefore perished in the wilderness. And then it's amazing that in spite of, of all of that, it is recorded, especially in the book of Numbers, in, in spite of all that, they now stood at the point where they were going to take possession of what God had promised them long ago. And Moses clearly points out that there's no reason for the Israelites to boast in themselves now that they're at the boundary of the land of Canaan, no reason to pat themselves on the back that they had made it thus far. You think about it in chapter 9, the, the previous chapter, in, in 9, verse 6. The Lord, he says there, Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Not because of your righteousness. And that's repeated a number of times in Deuteronomy 9. There's no reason for the, the people in themselves for, for God to have chosen this people and to, brought them, to have brought them to the edge of the promised land about to fulfill his promises to them. No reason in themselves. Moses reminds the people that throughout, of that, throughout that chapter 9, that previous chapter, he says, he says then in verse 7 also, chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place you have been rebellious against the Lord and then Moses goes on in that chapter 2 to remind the people in particular of a lot of what they had done also of the sin with the golden calf on Mount Horeb, that dark chapter of Israel's history when they fell away from the Lord even while he was in the process of affirming his covenant with them at Horeb. And they had just heard the law. God had spoken the law with his own voice to them. They had heard God's voice speaking the law. And they fell away and made themselves a golden calf. But that wasn't the only time they had rebelled against the Lord. Moses mentions other times too. For instance, when they had complained about the water at Massa, asked why they had ever left Egypt. Why, why have we, we left that Egypt behind? And then they, they sent, when they had sent spies into the land of Canaan at Kadesh Barnea, and then they had refused to enter and take over the land promised to them because they were afraid and instead had uh, proposed to appoint themselves a leader to go back to Egypt again. 
And based on their history, Moses gives his conclusion about, he gives his conclusion about them in verse uh, 24. Again, you have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Rebellious. You realize, congregation, time and again, there was all kinds of reason for God not to go forward with the people of Israel any longer. In fact, if Moses had not interceded for them time and again before God, God would have destroyed that whole nation long ago. But instead of destruction, we see mercy. Instead of obliteration, we see renewal. Instead of the Lord God giving the people what they deserved and destroying them, we see, them, we see the Lord bringing them to the promised land. We see him renewing his covenant, which his people had broken. And we read, read about that in the first part of Deuteronomy 10. Moses was talking about what God had done after the incident with the golden calf when he had broken those tablets of stone with the law on them. You know, he had come down after 40 days, the first time, first, in the first place, when the Lord had told Moses to make those two, two tablets of stone, and he had gone up and written there with his own hand. Then Moses had come down and seen what Israel was doing and smashed those tablets. But then what happened afterwards, after Moses had interceded, the Lord told Moses to make two new tablets of stone and that he would write the ten words of the covenant, the ten commandments on those new tablets and that Moses would place them in an ark of wood. That in the first place. And in the second place, the Lord in his grace made sure that the office of priest was established, instituted. A priest who could intercede for the people. And after the death of Aaron, his son Eliezer was made priest in his place. We read about that in chapter 10. The work of atonement for Israel's sins could continue. And intercessions for them could be made daily. And in the third place, the Lord in his grace brought the people to a land of rivers of water, as it says in chapters 10, verse 7. No longer in the wilderness. Now there was water, and the Lord made sure that the physical needs of the people were taken care of. And in the fourth place, the tribe of Levi was set aside to bear the ark of the Lord, to minister before him every day for the people. And finally, we see the Lord gives his people the assurance that they can go in and possess the land he swore to their fathers to give them. You see, congregation, that people broke the covenant, but the Lord God renews it. The people were stiff-necked, but the Lord was merciful. They were rebellious. The Lord was forgiving and gracious. They made a golden calf. He instituted a way of atonement for sins in the tabernacle with the ark. You see, congregation, there was absolutely, totally no reason why God should go any farther with the Israelites. No reason in themselves. So why would the Lord, to whom belong heaven and the highest heaven, the Lord of majesty, who would, why would he choose this people when he could choose any people he wanted to? He didn't even need a people for himself. Why would he want to go forward with this people, those people, 
What reason was there for the Lord to bring that nation all the way to the borders of the promised land after all that happened? Well, congregation, the Lord's reason for doing that lies in himself. Not in those people, but in himself alone. In his love. Look at what Moses says in verse 15. The Lord, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day, to love them. See, here in God's heart lies the reason for going on with his people. His love. His love. And that love is not a love that's there one day and gone the next. It's not a fickle love which one day chooses those people and the next day rejects them again in a fit of anger. No. God's love is a faithful covenant love. Love which he showed in the past. Love which endures from generation to generation. This is the love of a God who doesn't forget the promises he made to the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the love of God who even gave a sign and seal of his steadfast love to the generations of Israel in the sacrament of circumcision. The sign and seal of God's covenant relationship with Israel through the generation was visible in the foreskins of the males from where Israelite descendants were produced. In his undeserved love, the God of heaven and earth had bound himself to the nation of Israel and to their descendants. And that was made visible in all the males in Israel in their circumcision. And that was all from God, from God alone. Congregation, do you see how deep, deep, God's love is. Because he knew what kind of people he had chosen for himself out of all nations. He knew they were no better than others. Even, in a way, you could say worse than others. Stiff-necked. He knew they would be unfaithful. And yet he didn't give up on them right away when they fell. No, he renewed his covenant with them again. He is faithful. That's what that sacrament of circumcision showed. It was a permanent mark. Let me put this in New Testament terms. By the shedding of his blood, Jesus Christ has fulfilled that bloody sign and seal of circumcision. And in Christ crucified, we actually see the extent of God's love. He is the love of God in person. And today in the new covenant, the sign and seal of God's love and faithfulness is then the water of baptism. It signifies that God will be our loving and gracious God forever. And that brings that to mind that statement in the form for baptism where it says, and if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy nor continue in sin for baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. And we see the truth of that in our text, don't we? God doesn't fail. His people, his people can and often fail. Even they, they fall far sometimes. But we carry that sign and seal of God's faithful love. And that means we don't need to despair of his mercy, his love. 
when we realize how stiff-necked we are. God's love is faithful, true, steadfast. Circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament, show that, prove that. We can go back to him again and again and again. As sign and seal of God's love, baptism, even we could say baptism, calls us back to him every time again, daily. Baptism tells us God's arms remain open to the people he has set his heart on through the generations. However, congregation, God's deep and faithful love isn't something we can therefore just take for granted. It's all from him. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But if we take his love for granted, if we presume upon his love, we can lose it. And then it's our doing, our unfaithfulness. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon this morning. God's love is also what motivates his admonition to us. We come to verse 16 of the text. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. You see, the assurance of God's steadfast love for his people is then followed by serious admonition too. The love relationship with God, which God has established with us, cannot function, cannot remain if there's no love in return. He seeks our love. That's why he shows it. He shows it to a stiff-necked people, but then we can't remain stiff-necked. Be stiff-necked no longer, Moses says to the Israelites, because they were so stiff-necked, the people of Israel had come had time and again pushed God to the limit, so to speak. Their being stiff-necked consists mainly of this, that they, they presumed that they had a right to God's care and His gifts. It was as if God had chosen them as His own people because of their own goodness and righteousness, that they had a right to His love. Then they became demanding, stiff-necked, obstinate. Well, Moses had clearly shown them in chapter 9 that this was not the case. You know, by their sins, especially at Horeb with the golden calf, they showed that they themselves were not worthy of his love at all. God's love for them wasn't based on anything in them, in themselves, but on him, his good pleasure, his love alone. Stop thinking you're so worthy of God's love and mercy in yourselves, says Moses, in other words. And isn't that something we have to remember today too, congregation? Why has God gathered us into his covenant in church today? Not because of anything in us, in us ourselves. I always think too when there's a, a, a baptism here of a baby, it shows it so clearly. A baby is conceived and born in sin and subject to condemnation of itself together with everyone else, subject to condemnation. And such a baby hasn't done a thing yet when it's presented for baptism. Could even be that such a child will never have the opportunity to, to act out of itself due to handicap or due to death. And yet God says, I love this child. 
and I signify and seal that with baptism. This is my beloved child, he says. And the child, who knows what's in that child? So let's never think we have a right to God's love and grace and blessing. No, the reason God loves us and our children lies completely in himself and in his choosing, his grace in Jesus Christ. So there's no reason to be stiff-necked or haughty or to look down on anyone else or to think we have a right to what we have here. It's only reason to be deeply thankful and humble that you can be part of God's covenant and congregation. And it ought to take your breath away. And then there's Moses' other admonition directed to Israel in the text, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. You find that more often in the Bible. What does that mean? How can hearts be circumcised? And what does that have to do with circumcision as a sign and seal of the covenant? Well, circumcision, as you know, was a cutting off of the part of the foreskin around the male genital. And that was done by the priests in Israel when the baby boys born in Israel were eight days old. And so circumcision signified and sealed God's covenant with that child. Circumcision cuts away part of that child and makes that child, who is like everyone else in himself, makes him different part of God's covenant nation, Israel. It sets circumcision, set God's people apart from the other nations, the Gentiles. Set them apart as separated to God, loved by God. And that brings us back to the text. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And what Moses means with that is that being God's covenant child is more than just this outward sign of circumcision. Circumcision wasn't intended to only outwardly set God's Old Testament people apart. No, he wanted them set apart. He wanted them to be different in heart from the Gentiles. A person could be circumcised in their body, but not in the heart. That's what Paul writes in Romans 2. God set Israel apart from others, not just to outwardly be his people, but above all, inwardly. He wanted their hearts. Circumcision symbolized not only that God loved Israel, but it was also a call to his people to love him. And that's why Moses says in verse 16, Therefore, Circumcise your hearts. God loves you. Therefore, circumcise your hearts. Remember, that's what the covenant relationship is about. It's a love relationship. A love relationship. And that's why he made all of them his people and loved them so much that he delivered them from slavery and was willing to go forward with that stiff-necked people again and again was willing to bring them into the promised land. That was so they would love him with heart, soul, and mind. That was not the condition for his love. God loves unconditionally. But a love relationship has to be two ways. 
And that was a big problem with God's people, Israel, all throughout the Old Testament. The covenant all, all too often just became a safe place from which they proudly looked down on the Gentiles and took pride in themselves. We're circumcised. We're God's people. Look at the uncircumcised. The Apostle Paul mentions that in the section we read from his letter to the Romans, chapter 2, and he addresses Jewish Christians who look down on Gentile Christians in, in that context. And he says, indeed, you're called a Jew, and you rest on the law, and you make your boast in God, and you know His will, and you approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You've got a whole lot of things here, folks. But that in itself is not enough. That's not what he's looking for. Circumcision in the flesh isn't the end-all and the be-all. Having the law and so on, it was only the beginning of God's relationship with you. It's the sign and seal of God's love, a love which is too high and wide and deep to fathom. It's a sign and seal which in, inexorably calls for love in return. He seeks your hearts. So we can't just stay with that outward sign and seal and the, the outward form. No, God's love cuts deeper than the foreskin. It cuts to the heart. God seeks your heart with his love. The Lord God wants you, as Moses said in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, and to walk in his commandments. That's what he seeks with his grace. People of God, our text is an admonition to us today, to all of us here. Being a covenant child of God, being the object of God's undeserved love, completely undeserved love, means that he wants your heart and your life. It's not enough to be a member of the true church, to be registered here as baptized. And do I then mean that we have to do all kinds of things yet to uh, keep God pleased? No. The Bible shows us that God has done everything. He has led us out of the house of slavery like Israel, the slavery of sin and death through Christ. In spite of the fact that we're also inclined to be stiff-necked, He has always been faithful to His covenant, faithful in His love. But what He asks of us now is our love, our hearts, our lives. He wants to live in the engine room of our lives in here. He has given us His heart in giving His Son for us on the cross. And now He asks nothing else, nothing more, nothing less than our hearts, our love for Him. Congregation, because Christ's blood was shed. The covenant no longer involves that bloody sign and seal of circumcision. Now the washing with the water of baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant. But the, the covenant remains essentially the same. And the admonition to circumcise our hearts, that, that's for us here today too. Give your hearts and lives to the Lord God. Teach your children who are baptized to do that too. Love the Lord. Love the Lord. And then serve Him. 
That was the problem with the Jewish Christians that Paul was addressing in Romans 2. They boasted in the law of God. They preached that, that they were God's people and that they knew God, what God wanted, that God forbade stealing, and yet they themselves stole. They said, do not commit adultery. They did so themselves. They boasted in the law but dishonored God by breaking it. And so God's name was dishonored among the Gentiles because of them. And what was the problem? God's love in Jesus Christ, had, they had not allowed it to penetrate their hearts. And therefore, they were not able to become doers of the law either. Only when it begins here, in the heart, can faith really bear fruit. And congregation, that's what Moses admonished the covenant people for in our text. Circumcise your hearts. Love God. Let that love show in deeds of love for God and for your neighbor. And then God gives himself as an example of love and action after the text in Deuteronomy 10. He says he's impartial. He takes no bribes. He administers justice to the fatherless and the widows. He shows love to strangers. That's the last part of Deuteronomy 10. And that's, that's how he is in his love. And if you, by the power of his spirit, love him, then it's not beyond you as covenant child to also love like that. And congregation, if we live like that more and more, then God's name will not be blasphemed because of us, but praised more and more. Then God is our praise, as it says, and Moses says in verse 21. And that means that all the praise goes to God who in spite of our stiff necks persists in his love, who pushes farther and farther into our being with his love until he reaches our hearts. And that love of God, which we as New Testament covenant people know is love in Jesus Christ, that that love of God will shave away the hardness in our hearts, cut that away, and more and more make new people out of us. And of course, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's rejoice in being where God's word of love is proclaimed and the sacraments of his love are administered, also the Lord's Supper this, this afternoon. Because there the Holy Spirit is active and pushing into our hearts. And then we can give his faithful love the room to awaken our heartfelt love. Amen. Congregation, let's sing in response to the proclamation, Psalm 105, stanzas 1 and 3. Oh, thank the Lord with great rejoicing. <laughs> 